0: Lob Talk Radio. Time zones is good afternoon. Uh my name is Michael Gordon and welcome to the Mind Whisperer. You're tuned in at Blog Talk Radio at the Mind Whisperer and welcome to our I guess our first inaugural show. We had a sort of a, a launch show that was a bit of a test. And today is the uh launch of our uh new time zone or sorry, time slot, which is going to be Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Um, As I uh, have said in my posts to Facebook and Twitter, this show uh, has pre-selected topics, and at the same time, it's an open format show. So we look forward to your calls. Um, Please call in at any time. The number is 347-945-7891. Welcome your calls and uh, look forward to hearing from you and regardless of the topic, the show is open to talk about any number of uh, topics that relate to your daily life, your relationships, personal issues, addiction, etc., etc. A brief introduction about myself, Uh, I am based in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is a beautiful city and I have uh, been in private practice as a psychotherapist for the past well, probably 15 years although I have been working in the mental health and personal development and wellness field for 20, 25 years. My background includes uh, editing a holistic health uh, lifestyle magazine here in Vancouver that's now defunct, unfortunately, called Shared Vision. I had the honor of uh, doing a cover story interview with Goldie Hahn about mindfulness, which was a wonderful opportunity. And the magazine also was a co-sponsor of the Dalai Lama's last visit to Vancouver in 2006. And uh, so here we are, mindful whisperer, what does that mean? What are we doing here? What are we talking about? It sounds a little mysterious, uh, but it's not. It's, we're concerned with very practical concerns about our daily life. And today's topic is vulnerability as strength. I've kind of borrowed that title from a woman named Brene Brown, who you may recognize from TED. If you're not familiar with TED Talks, go check it out. TED.com. They're on YouTube. You can find them in podcasts in iTunes. TED is a stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design, and it's an annual conference that happens in California, I believe, Monterey, where they invite the top of the top in a diverse array of fields from like the title implies technology, but also any innovative research, essentially across the board, from cognitive neuroscience to people's uh, discoveries and and innovations in uh, creativity and uh, a whole range of subjects. Brene Brown was on there. Uh, she's a uh, researcher into um, human behavior. she's a I like guess social worker a specialty. And she tells a story, as all the presenters do within their 20-minute segment, about going into research, and she was curious about um, the question of human connection. And in that investigation about the need and the drive to be connected, she found a major stomach block. And what came up over and over again in the research was that people are inhibited from connecting on a personal level, on an emotional level, because of shame. And shame triggers fear, and the fear is is that if people discover who I really am, they won't want to know me. So we end up perpetuating this cycle of not connecting to people because we're afraid they'll really see us. Now, unfortunately, what happens is is that, that what they end up seeing is this protected false self. And we cut ourselves short from engaging in those relationships where people would reassure us that we are fine as we are. Now, when she went further into this research, she she, um, came across more stumbling blocks, which I won't get into. But essentially, the the heart of the matter comes down to vulnerability. And when she researched the people who were able to form those kind of relationships, what she found as a common trait was vulnerability as a skill. Now, it doesn't mean it was easy. It just meant that they recognized it was necessary. So this was a very pragmatic concern. Necessary because in order to connect with people, you have to be willing to show yourself as you truly are. A part of the problem we have, we have this predicament that we have inherited this 30,000-year-old brain. And you can actually think of the human brain as a living map of our evolutionary history. Starting from you know the vagus at the back, the nerve, this, the, at the nerve bundle at the back of the top of your spine, which comes up through... You know the the center of the base of the of the brain uh, as it branches out into the prefrontal cortex. And he, what distinguishes human beings from other species, including higher primates, wh- who, with whom we share ninety nine percent DNA with chimpanzees at least, is that we have this very complex and exquisitely developed neocortex this prefrontal cortex the frontal lobe so to speak and that's the area of our brain that has developed a very sophisticated capacity for rational understanding for impulse control concentration awareness attention all these cognitive functions and and primarily with self-reflection now the problem is is that Intact in our brain structure are also the remnants of our sort of reptilian past, if you will and and recent research has sort of and philosophy of science has struggled with well, what is consciousness? How do you define what a conscious being is and they basically come down to that and any organism that has that base um, base awareness, sensory awareness it's kind of like this little Thermometer that rests at the top of your spinal cord that's at the base of your brain. They they've kind of acknowledged as being you know the, the fundamental level of conscious awareness. And from that, as I say, we've evolved in the midbrain, we have what's commonly known as the fight or flight center. And it's more accurately known as the limbic system. This is a very important function because we get base sensory input and then it goes to the limbic system which has uh, organs like the uh, amygdala. And the amygdala sort of registers our emotional experience and says, hey, have I seen this before? Has this happened before? What's going on? And as it passes through that gate, it, it's allowed to go up into the front of our brain, and we can go, oh, it's just it's fine. It's just my uncle Phil, or it's just a cat. It's not a saber-toothed tiger, etc." And we develop these um, kind of set pieces of our experience to get through the world. A very interesting fact is that our brain has the capacity to process 11 million bits of information a second. Now if we were prone to uh, being conscious of that information flooding in, we would be completely overwhelmed. And so part of the job of that uh, limbic system is to regulate all that information coming in so we're not completely overwhelmed all the time. And when I mean information, I mean sensory input. Through your five senses, uh, you know thoughts that you're having, physical sensations, etc. Visual input, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, what we actually are consciously aware of is about 40 bits of that 11 million. We have the ability to filter down significantly and reduce down that overwhelming array and you know river of sensory input coming into our brain. And this is very important so that we can function. Now The problem is, as I was saying, is that uh, our set point still as a species is originates in that limbic system in that we are, our first line of response in the world is to go through that emergency center and check and make sure it's nothing drastic. Now, this all happens in a, in a nanosecond. However, for a lot of people who have grown up with uh, distress in their early life, maybe dysfunction in their family, have gone through trauma of one kind or another, or just by the very nature that they may be very highly sensitive and have adapted to the world and a little oversensitized, sometimes people develop too wide open a filter of that 11 million bits of information. And when you get into things like uh, mental disorders like you know schizophrenia and psychopathy, etc., there's there are physiological problems there in the brain in terms of being able to filter that information and what's what's relevant and what's not regardless we are all walking around fundamentally as animals scanning the world for for threat and what keeps us from freaking out all the time and being completely defensive and and killing all of each each other and being animalistic is that we have this prefrontal cortex which allows us to build relationships and build a meaning in the world about who we are, and and we're raised to socialize and within the safety of a family and a society, and we form these associations internal and external through our relationships. Now, again, we're at a disadvantage because we really are still evolving as a species to move away from that reactive stance of that limbic system. Who are you? What do you mean? I mean, that has a very important function if you're walking down a dark alley. You don't want to just be lovey-dovey and trust everybody. But again, it can be a little bit overactive, quite a bit overactive, and we can, without knowing it, be very conditioned to respond from that place, and we can actually form our personality around that kind of reactivity. So let's circle back around to vulnerability. What does that mean in terms of vulnerability? What that means is that there is something very intrinsic to our biological design that we have to overcome and through our social behavior and through cultivating traits like vulnerability to build more sophisticated means of interacting in the world and again, when you grow up in an environment uh, where you have had to be competitive or there's scarcity either materially or financially or in terms of the love and nurturing in your environment, you're going to be predisposed to being on guard. So there's very real reasons why vulnerability presents a threat to people. And when I mean vulnerability, we're talking about the, again, a trait, an ability to recognize that being open to one another, that being open to another person, and having another person see you in a raw way as you truly are, isn't a threat. Now, what's crucial to that is that you are accepting of yourself first. So we get to the right down to the heart of the matter, and that is self-worth. And if you develop as a human being in a healthy family environment or in a healthy upbringing, even if it's extended family or a, a social network, then you have an intact core self-worth. And that allows you to assess yourself as you go through life and your ups and downs without shaking that foundation. And so the idea that someone can see you in a weak moment or in a uh, moment that you would prefer not to have been seen in is okay because you're, you've come to terms with it yourself. So we're coming back to this issue of vulnerability as strength then. And what does that mean? That means that if you are at peace with yourself, if you are have a relationship with yourself where you're not withdrawing and shutting down in shame from that fundamental place that I don't want people to see me, I'm supposed to be perfect, I'm not going to be enough for people, then you're, you know, much more relaxed presence in the world. And presence really is the key word here. I see, by the way, nobody's, uh, uh, we're still on our, our first or second show here. So I see nobody's really, um, calling in and that's fine that's why I'm speaking at length here so i hope you don't mind my my verbosity but presence really is the key and again as a as a therapist i deal in in uh with a with a theoretical understanding of trauma in a general sense and i use a, a therapy technique called emdr which helps people, the people's nervous system uh and their meaning system so to speak, their identity release old trauma in the system and what that means is is that the idea of being present in the moment, in an interaction with somebody, in, in the presence of an emotion, in the presence of a feeling isn't threatening it's just a moment and you're able to function and you'll notice sometimes when you see something happen let's say something catastrophic like a car accident or uh, somebody's fainted people will have different reactions. Some people will freeze up. Some people will turn away and say, it's not my problem. And some people will get quite agitated. Same thing with a a disturbance, an argument, a conflict. And that's because that's the way that their system is tuned in and their personality is tuned in according to their life history and their limbic system response, the way that they've been conditioned as an organism. Some of us fight, some of us flee, and some of us freeze. So the whole idea here is to be able to be present and open without reacting and without it being attached to our core self-worth. This is a very difficult thing to do. In my life, where I have found a, a very profound practice in vulnerability of strength is in the art of Aikido. Now, many of you may be familiar uh, in popular culture with the so-called martial art of Aikido, which which came out of Japan. The founder of uh, Aikido was a man named Morihei Ueshiba, and he really was kind of a a last remnant of the samurai era. And he brought uh, forward the Budo principle and the, the Budo training, which was the samurai training, which wasn't all martial arts and fighting. The samurai were developed to a code of honor to to protect and also to an aesthetic of perfecting themselves, themselves as a spiritual being in all things in their life, down to making a cup of tea, to meditating so their mind was calm and all these things would show up when they were on the battlefield in addition to, you know, martial training. So, Ueshiba brought forward the heart of this Budo principle, which is not to fight, but to uh, to learn how to blend with an attacker when you don't have a weapon. Say you've been disarmed on the battlefield, and the samurai is coming at you with a sword or a knife or a spear, and you have to be able to disarm them and protect yourself. And it's a life or death situation. But the art really has adapted itself to... Uh, especially the way that in in the Aikido that I teach and train in to, to your daily life because we 're not facing samurai on horseback or on the battlefield really we metaphorically we are our bosses our coworkers our spouses we face conflict all the time, but the idea is is that when you are calm in the way that the samurai cultivated a sense of calmness and fastidiousness and a relaxed manner with minimal effort to all things in their life then when you're presented when you end up in that situation that will be your habit that will be your response and so for me in Aikido it's been a lifelong process of retraining reconditioning my mind and it shows up through my my body my physical habits on the mat training where there's aggression where there's fear so this gives us a very interesting paradox that when you are relaxed and you're calm you are able to stay more protected and more safe. So vulnerability becomes an asset because you are no longer reacting to your own internal fear and and again that sort of foundation level of internal distress and disrepair with your relationship with yourself. It's just calm and neutral and abiding. It's a pervasive sense of well-being, just like a calm pond. And so on the mat, for example, in Aikido, when someone attacks you, when you've developed this feeling and this practice and this habit and you know, incrementally, when someone comes to attack you, the further along you are in your training, you can wait longer and longer and longer until you do something. Because that creates uncertainty and, and a ripple effect in the attacker's mind. Why has he not moved yet? I'm almost there. I've almost you know hit his center with my punch or come around to hit the side of his neck with my hand. Why hasn't he moved? And it kind of unsettles the attack. and then, at the perfect moment, you turn or blend or move with them. And so in effect, there's nothing left to attack anymore. So it's quite contradictory to a lot of the other martial arts, which are about entering in at a point of resistance and overcoming the resistance, overpowering, overwhelming the resistance. So the teaching in Aikido, for example, is, is to overcome and recondition your what's called fighting mind. And this is what we're all aiming to do. We don't want to lash out at our loved ones. When our children push our buttons, when our pets on the carpet and, and uh, chew our favorite, you know, slippers or um, belongings. It it's only going to trigger us as much as we are internally open to what that means to us. And really, it is what it is. The the dog chewing your slippers isn't the end of the world, but it, on some level, it can mean the end of the world to us. So these things get in the way of us being able to be calm and neutral and open. And not everybody's prepared to do that. Going back to the physiology, what's happening in the brain, we know now from uh, advanced brain scanning of long-term meditators in the Buddhist tradition What is going on in the brain? And I spoke about this prefrontal cortex, the the front of the brain, the frontal lobes. And we know now from thousands of hours of um, fMRI active brain scans on these meditators that were done a few years ago, almost a decade ago now, uh, out in Madison, Wisconsin, that there's a high level of activation going on in the left prefrontal cortex and this is the part of the brain that's associated with calmness with interrelating with focus and with empathy so the teaching in in buddhist practice and in meditation in fact the very word meditation means to familiarize it means to be become familiar with yourself so as a practice and i'm not preaching meditation here but it really does have a, a, a is a very accessible and very profoundly transformative practice that anybody can do. What's really going on in meditation is that we are calmly abiding all of that maelstrom of activity in our mind that day to day we don't realize we are reacting to on the level of a threat, like a tiger attacking us. I'm feeling jealousy towards my coworker. Why do they get the promotion? I am annoyed that my spouse um, spoke, you know, very tersely with me this morning or didn't respond to me making it a, you know, a come on to, to get intimate. Whatever it is, we attach meaning to all these things and it can escalate in terms of an internal experience. So when you're meditating, you are just sitting calmly and observing all of this, storm-like activity in your mind. And, again, another distinguishing feature about the human mind and consciousness is that all of these internal and external influences don't leave permanent imprints. They're just activity. And really, again, behind that screen, if you will, or that canvas of activity that shows up in our awareness is a is a more pervasive what they call meta awareness and that means overseeing it means seeing from from a higher point observing and that is what in meditation they call bare awareness or pure awareness so you develop this connection this experience of this calm observing and you get a little bit of distance from this Very, very tightly wound. It's almost like a boa constrictor. Our identity. This is who I am, and I have to defend it. And you get a little bit of distance from that reactivity. That that this is who I am, and if you don't like me for who I am, then screw them. And in that practice, you develop a softness to those parts of your your experience and your and aspects of your daily life and your relationship with yourself and how you experience your your day moving along where you feel offended or hurt or wounded or jealous or all of these emotions that get in the way and by going through that process you develop empathy for your own suffering how how confusing that is how much it gets in the way of just connecting the people and that cultivates a sense of empathy for other people then Because when you're now calmer to your own experience and connected and more gentle really with yourself and and a little more fearless about things that you you used to want to avoid, right? We avoid a lot of this experience by shutting our feelings down. And one of the things that Brene Brown talks about in that TED Talk is that the brain cannot distinguish between different emotions when it goes to shut down. It just blanket shuts everything down. It doesn't just shut down, okay, I'm not going to feel angry right now, but I'm going to feel all these other emotions it kind of has an overall numbing effect. So the key is not to try and not feel things. The key is to try and change our response from immediately being anger, immediately personalizing things, and more to more a, a sense of openness and trying to understand and being calm in the presence of what's happening. And that allows us to be vulnerable. So it changes the whole idea of vulnerable as being wide open, in the in the again limbic sense that I'm going to get killed and everyone's going to attack me and I'm not going to have any defenses. That's a that's a misnomer that boundaries are about a wall that we have to defend. And instead, what we understand is that the boundaries is just that sense of I'm aware of where I am in space. I'm I'm not so attached to the story of who I am that I'm here. And I'm fundamentally who I am. And like any other being. I have the right to be here, and I don't have to prove it to anybody. And you kind of reside in this open space as you move through the world. And then you're no longer having to defend that territory. Now, we're uh, running very close to the end of our program here, and, and there's so many streams that we could go out into. You can talk about politics, talk about conflict in the Middle East in terms of our identifying with our position, taking a position, having to defend our personality, defend our borders. What I want to leave you with today, and and, uh, I'm I'm glad to hear from you after the show and, and certainly tune in next time to follow up, is this sense of making space for yourself. Making space for your own experience, your own fears, your own shame, like you were being there for your closest friend or somebody in need. And oftentimes you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be a therapist to somebody if they're grieving, if they're sad, if they're confused. Just your presence there makes it okay for them to go to feel what they're feeling. If you start to make space for yourself with whatever you're feeling, that that changes this reactivity of not... the, the preconditioning to not feel safe to be present anymore. And you realize it's just a moment. It's an emotion. It'll pass. And unless it really is somebody attacking you and your life is threatened, it really is just a feeling or experience or or a thought that comes up. And when you're able to change that and operate from more of a calm and neutral place of well-being, you're creating more peace in the world, first of all. But you're also strengthening your ability to connect to other people and that's where we, we really thrive and that's where we're a positive presence in our families and our closest circles well we're coming up to the end of the program uh I'm really glad that uh, I see a few of you are tuned in online and I appreciate you listening and for all of those who who are listening out there and uh, did not call in I appreciate you listening Feel free to call in anytime. any time. Next program will be on Tuesday next week at 10 o'clock a.m. Pacific time. I haven't selected a topic yet. And as always in the program, you're welcome to call in and introduce any topic that you want. It really is an interactive show and I'm open to whatever it is that you want to discuss and, and can help you with. So once again, my name is Michael Gordon. It's been my pleasure to talk to you today about vulnerability. And I look forward to... Possibly hearing from you after the show, you can email me, you can find my links, Twitter, my Facebook page, it's called The Mindful Whisperer, and uh, you have yourselves a great day, and we look forward to speaking with you next time. Take care now, and take care of each other.